0: Top of the morning to you. How are you? Well, it's good to see you in church. Uh, my name is Steve. I happen to have the privilege of being pastor of this great church, and I also have the privilege of welcoming you this morning, so welcome, and we'll say more about that in just a minute. Uh, in the worship folder you were given is this card, and you don't need to get it now, but we'd like for you to fill that out, and when the offering is taken at the end of the day, Please put that in the offering, and if you're a guest with us, that's really all we want back from you. I'd like to send you a letter that says more about First Baptist Church and just welcome you through the mail, so if you could be thinking about filling that card out today. Anybody get upset when they came to church today? Uh, No, I... This actually is my third anniversary here. I started three years ago, 2003, the last Sunday of August, and so so this is a special day to me. It may be my last day here, but... uh, I want to say thanks to the young people, the junior and senior hires. Give them a round of appreciation. They've helped me out today. So uh, I said, come in and trash the church. Now, I think they need practice, you know. They they tried, but it's just hard to do. But anyhow, I appreciate their help, and you may want to thank them. We are glad you're here today. I also did something I've never done before, or at least I don't think I have. I rode my bike to church today. Save a little gas. So uh, that was kind of cool. It's going to be a little warm going home, but uh, anyhow, that was good. We're glad you're in worship today. I think it's going to be an important day as you begin the week. And uh, one of the things, the Bible says, if you want to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. And so I'd like to give you the chance right now. Just turn around and greet a couple people. Be friendly. Stick out your hand and say top of the morning to you. Thanks. Early this month, Joyce and I were at the World Mission Conference in Green Lake, Wisconsin, at our American Baptist Assembly. And it's just a delightful time as we meet people from around the world, hear what God is doing around the world, and uh, catch up with friends and missionaries, and we had a great time. One afternoon, Joyce said, I'm going to the uh, Worldwide Gifts store and just look through it. Do you want to come? And I said, no, I don't think I will. I'll wait outside. So she went into the Worldwide Gifts store and went shopping, and I sat down at a table outside in a patio, And I was just doing nothing. And as I looked down at the table, there was a book. And the book said, The Best Preaching on Earth. And I said, wow, there'll probably be sermons by Billy Graham and just famous, well-known preachers. I can always read something like that. So I pulled it out and began to flip through it. And it was obviously a book somebody had read and done a lot of highlighting in. And uh, as I flipped through it, I realized it wasn't what I expected. It was actually a collection of sermons, and here's what the second part of the title says, The Best Preaching on Earth, Sermons on Caring for Creation. Now my eyes really lit up, because I was sitting there in early August, and I said, Oh, I'm preaching about creation in a few Sundays, and uh, this is wonderful. So I began looking through the book, and there were articles, a sermon by John Stott in there, some stuff by Gordon McDonald, uh, Howard Snyder, Ron Sider, uh, and people I hadn't heard of, all on caring for creation. Now, I grew up in church. I've heard thousands of sermons. I don't recall ever in church in my life hearing a preacher give a sermon on our responsibility of caring for creation. I've never heard one. And as I thought about this Sunday, I was a little bit... Uh, Oh, what would I say? I just knew I didn't have as many resources as normal. You know, I preached on prayer last week. I mean, we can all get up and preach on prayer. There's just lots of stuff. But care for creation, what am I going to say? Now, I've preached on the subject before, but not much. And I'd never heard a sermon on caring for creation in my life. Now, let me ask a question. I'll ask you to raise your hand. How many of you would say, Steve, I'm with you. I've never heard a sermon on caring for God's earth, on caring for creation. How many of you are with me? Oh, that's good. That's good. So I can say today, you're going to hear the best sermon you've ever heard on earth. I'm confident of that. And that really makes me feel good to preach the best sermon you've ever heard on earth. Wow. Uh, This could be a long sermon. I've been reading through sermons this week. You know, I've got six or eight, ten that I've read here. Uh, So I'm trying to get it all into this one today. (laughs) We are going through our value statement, and I'm. I'd like for you to find this sheet in your worship folder. Kind of wave it at me here. By the way, wasn't that just great singing today? I don't know about you, but uh, that was marvelous. Thank you. Uh, On the front side of this, there's a list of First Baptist Church mission, vision, and values. And there are eight value statements, and we've been going through those this summer. The last one I want to read to you. And this last one is here because Steve insisted. I said we've got to say something as a value in our church about our stewardship. Now we think of stewardship in the church, and uh, when I say stewardship, Dale, what do you think of usually? Caring. caring. Oh, that was the wrong. What else do you think of? Money. Yeah. We generally thank you, Tom. You bailed me out. You know, in church, stewardships mean we think of money, but that's really a, a very limited definition. It does mean caring. And we're going to talk about that today. So we got this in our value statement. And the eighth one is, and let me read it to you, Stewardship is the care of God's creation and faithful use of all God-given resources for God's glory. <clears throat> Since we believe this, therefore, we will faithfully manage God's creation and our resources. And that's what I want to talk to you today about this value of carefully, faithfully managing God's resources and uh, in God's creation. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this custom. I think most of you are, but uh, I'll say God is good. What do you say? All the time. And I'll say all the time. Okay, let's go through that. God is good. All the time. All the time. Good. And I I think this is a good uh, topic for us to talk about this morning. And what I want to do is really two things. I want to spend most of our time talking about Four truths from the Bible. This is what the Bible says, kind of teaching. And I want to teach you four truths. And then at the end of that, say, so what? What are we going to do about this? What does it really mean? And then we'll go through the second half more quickly, but that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the application part. So fair enough, that's what we're going to do. And I'll invite you to follow along on the back of this. Now, I thought it might be helpful to illustrate with a circle. You've got a circle there on the back. So, this is sort of a circle, and uh, this circle is going to represent Earth. Now, this morning, as I talk to you about caring for creation, I don't simply mean planet Earth. Poor Pluto. Bad news, huh? I mean, how sad. All these years, Pluto thought he, she, it was a planet, and they got debunked. Anyhow, when I speak of Earth, we're not just talking about the planet Earth. We're talking about all of creation, the universe, The sun, the moon, the stars, you understand that. But anyhow, this will represent Earth, and probably, and I don't know if everybody can see this, but you'll get the idea. I'm going to put up two words, and you might write two words on yours, good and bad. Now, when you think about your worldview, and you only get two choices, you don't have to answer me, but as you think about the universe or creation do you primarily think it's good, or do you primarily think it's bad? You need to make a choice. And this morning we're, we're including, you know, trees. I wish i have been practicing all week on how to draw a tree. I don't know how. Water, you know, a lake, the, the water. Um, maybe somebody could come up and draw trees. Anyhow, those are trees. This is, this is creation. And as you think about that, you have to wrestle with the question as a Christian, is it good or is it bad? Which is it? And this morning, I'm here to tell you that based on the Bible, creation is good. Creation is good. And I want to share with you several scriptures that uh, speak about God's good creation. On the first page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, the word good comes up. And eight times in chapter 1, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings... Eight times the word good is used. You don't need Hebrew or Greek to understand what it means. You know what it means. It means good. Every time, it's God's pronouncement on what God did. As God made the the light and the night, God said, this is good. As God made a sea and a tree, God stepped back and said, this is good. And so it goes throughout the chapter. Now, the last chapter of the verse goes like this. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was what you already know the verse. No. Very good. Yeah, it's good. It's better than good. It's very good. And so as God finishes up creation, it's good. It's actually very good. And that's not Steve talking. That's what the Bible says. Genesis 1:31. God says, "It's very good." Now, This morning, as you think about how you feel about the earth, is it good or is it very good? Uh, It's good, and I hope that that gets planted in your mind. You could read Psalm 104. It's all about creation and the beauty and the goodness of it, and it is a very good place. I'm going to pick up the pipe here before I trip over it. It's a very good place. Now, what I want to do is mark out that from a Bible standpoint, you can't say creation is bad. The Scripture just does not teach that. And so if you're going to follow the Bible, it is good. It's very good. A number of years ago, Joyce, my wife, and our youngest son, Adam, and I, we used to drive over from the San Fernando Valley, which I thought was the real valley. You know, now I see there's another valley. But uh, that was our world in that day. And we would drive to Pasadena to the library on Walnut Street every uh, Tuesday night, once a month, for the Southern California meeting of the grotto. You know what a grotto is? It's a caving club. We attended there. We joined the National Speleological Society, NSS, a national organization on caving, and we learned how to be cavers. And we've been caving here in California, in Texas, New Mexico, Missouri. And in Missouri, there's a cave we often go to. We do a little canoe trip, and it's called Burnt Mill Cave. And it's not much of a cave, but you go in there, you're kind of waist-deep in water. That's the coolest part. You're freezing. And as you go in there, you can go back in there a little ways and climb up on a shelf. And as you climb up there and look down, there are cave pearls. You know what a cave pearl is? Well, as the water drips off a ceiling, it forms a little formation there. And here's some pictures of some cave pearls. These are prettier than what we see. But there's a little section there, just maybe this big, where there are these little pearl-like Uh, deposits that have formed. And it's gorgeous. They're very white and translucent. They're just beautiful. Now, one of the cool things about caving, as you climb back in a cave and you see a stalactite or a stalagmite or something like that, and you look at the beauty and the color or see see whatever you're seeing, you realize not many people have seen this. And that's kind of cool. Not everybody goes crawling back in caves. And so sometimes in particular places, you think, I wonder how many people have actually seen this. And sometimes in the grotto, they showed a lot of pictures and so forth, and you'd see pictures of stuff that virtually nobody has seen. And you just think, that's cool. Now, here's a question I have for you. Those cave pearls that are in that cave in Burnt Mill Creek Cave in Missouri, do they have extrinsic value or intrinsic value? Stay with me a minute. We're going to talk about those words, extrinsic or intrinsic. Now, your dog, if you have a pet, let's say it's a dog, and you say, I say, well, why do you have a dog? You say, well, I love my dog. It's my best friend. The dog barks when people come around, so it's a protection for me. It's a companion. That's extrinsic value. If you have a cow, you say, Steve, this cow gives me milk. That's why the cow's valuable. That's extrinsic value. The value lies outside of the object or the animal itself. And you say it's valuable because of what it gives me. Your car is valuable. Why? Why? Well, maybe it makes you feel good. It's a status symbol. Maybe your car uh, takes you places. Maybe it's very reliable or economical. And you say, my car's valuable. That's extrinsic value. It's worth something because of what it does for you. you. You got that? Extrinsic. Now, I want to suggest to you that those cave pearls have value simply because God created them. They have intrinsic value. They are valuable in and of themselves. That's called intrinsic value. Now, let me say more about that. In um, the book of Job, chapter, uh, I think it's 39, God goes on and on about creation. I'll just read the first verse. But God is asking Job a question, and God says this, Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? What do you think Job has to say in answer to that? No. 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 Now, here's the question. Let's say up here in the San Gabriel Mountains there are lots of deer, and let's say a doe gives birth to a little deer, a fawn, and that deer grows up, lives a natural life, and dies, and nobody ever sees that deer. Does that deer have any value at all? You're not sure. Well, I'm, I see, there we go. To whom? What do you mean? I'm here to say, because creation is good, that deer is valuable because the whole point of Job 39, God is saying, Job, whether you see it or not, it's valuable because, A, God created it, and it has worth all of itself, all of its own. It has intrinsic worth. And I want you to remember that word this morning because creation has value simply because God created it. It doesn't matter whether it gives something to you or not. And that's why Jesus said, God sees every sparrow that falls to the ground and dies. Can you get your head around that? God knows that doe gave birth to that fawn and so forth. And it has value, not because of what we get out of it, that's extrinsic, but because God created it like that. If you can begin to see the world in that way, it's going to change your life. Because we're so consumer-driven and materialistic, we only think things have value if they give us something you with me? I could go on, but i got a lot of points here. Don't we have a lot of blanks to fill in? So creation is what? Oh, I don't think you're convinced. Creation is what? It's good. It's very good. Creation is good. And uh, that's the first thing we want to say. Now, the second word is this. Creation is God's. It belongs to God. And I'm going to represent that by putting a cross here in the middle of creation. A cross to represent that it belongs to God. You can illustrate it any way you want, but this is not our world, it's God's world. Creation does belong to God. Uh, just a couple of references on that, since we're asking what the Bible says. Um, psalm, Of course, God created it. I mean, we all know Genesis 1 and 2. But in Psalm 24, long after the fall, long after sin came into the world, David writes a psalm, and he begins by saying, the earth is... The earth belongs to the United States of America. No, the earth is, who does the earth belong to? It's the Lord's, you know it, and all the world and those who live in it. The earth is the Lord's, and all the world and all that is in it. Sorry, should have had breakfast. And all those who live therein. The earth belongs to God. I want to give you uh, another quote from the New Testament. This is in uh, Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It's talking about Jesus Christ, a very deep passage, but listen to these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. I'm going to read that last phrase again putting in the word Jesus because that's what we're talking about that's what the scripture says to read it with Jesus name in there or Christ it says all things have been created through Christ and for Christ remember those two prepositions through and for all has been created through Christ and for Christ it's God's world it belongs to God it belongs to the Lord um One other verse, the most famous verse perhaps in the New Testament is what? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that God gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him, King James there, shall not perish but have everlasting life. How does it start? God so loved the world. And we need to let that settle with us. If you grew up like me in church, there's an old... um, song that's kind of a hand-clapping, knee-slapping song. Uh, I don't know if Paul can play the banjo or not, but uh, it would be good. I don't think he'd be willing to accompany me either. But uh. anyhow, it goes like this. Uh, Raise your hand if you know this. I won't invite you up to sing with me. That's a promise. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And it goes on. You want more? No, just stop, stop. <laughs> Pull the plug. This world is not my home, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Is that true? Now, I'm not speaking from the Bible here. This is just Steve. I love this world. I love it. I mean, I love getting up, and most of the time I'm just thrilled to be alive, to eat food, to see the deer. I saw a mountain, and, uh, I saw a bear on the mountain the other day biking. That's for another sermon. But uh, deer, bear, to see the wildlife, to see the streams. Why? Well, just, uh, just this uh, morning, Lisa and I were standing out in the courtyard. It'd be worth your walk to the fountain. And there's a little rosebud sticking out of a rose bush there. That's gorgeous. I mean, just look at that for a while. I love this world. It's a great world. But some of us grew up thinking there's something wrong with this world. And not loving the world. Some of us grew up thinking, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We just need to get on the lifeboat and get out of here. Jesus is going to burn it up anyhow, right? And as we think about that, we fail to realize God gave us this place. It's God's. And it's precious. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Steve, doesn't the Bible say, do not love the world? 1 John 2.15. Well, it does. What are we going to do about that? John 3.16, written by John, says, God so loved the world. John, 1 John 2.15, written by John, says, do not love the world. What are we talking about? Well, this morning we're talking about creation. Sun, moon, stars, all that creation is. God loves it. God made it. It belongs to God. When John says, in a more narrow sense, do not love the world, he's not talking about the ground upon which we walk. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about the world system, Republicans, Democrats, materialism, consumerism. He says, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to follow Jesus' way. Don't love the world's way, the systems of this world. Don't get into that. You've got to go God's way. Are we, with, are we together on that? So when the word world is used, be careful how you think about it. Because John is using it in a very narrow sense about all these isms. He says, don't love all those isms of the world. As a follower of Jesus, you're going to go Jesus' way, not the world's way, the system's way. There are lots of ways. So I think enough about that. It's God's world. And uh, we want to put down the truth. Creation is good. Creation is God's. Now we've got one other one. Um, I'm going to put some people up here. People are in the world. I love drawing people. I'm good. See him? Easy. Wow, that's right. Um, now, this is, uh, forgive me, I'm a preacher, and uh, we like the outline to be clever, so the next word would have to start with what? A G. That's right, you're with me. Creation is gunked up. Gunked up. You know what that means, right? It's really not a Bible word, but, uh, it's gunked up. Let's look again at a couple scriptures. I put down a bunch of them you can look up later, but I wanna, I wanna read one scripture and see if this sounds like it's describing 3,000 years ago or today. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. Could I say, O people of America? For the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, and murder, stealing, adultery, all break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who live in it languish together with wild animals, and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are perishing. (laughs) Sound familiar? Wow, that's in Hosea. And I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about how gunked up or messed up or broken our world is, but I do want to emphasize that uh, this morning to us. It is uh, messed up. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says the whole creation groans, and we groan under the weight of sin, of our bro- brokenness. And so this morning, as you look at the world, I didn't know whether to, I don't know how to put gunked up on there. You may just want to mess up the stream or have the leaves drop off the trees or something like that, but the world is messed up, and uh, we need to remember that. It's, it's a problem. Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Um, there are all manner of ways it's gunked up. Now, the last truth we want to say from, that comes from the Bible is this. People have responsibility for creation. People have responsibility for creation. Back to the second chapter of Genesis, we could read the similar thing in the first chapter. In verse 215, when the Lord has created Adam and he's there, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it or work it and keep it or care for it. And Adam and Eve were put there to take care of the garden and to work the garden. That's our responsibility. Now, this morning, I think the question for us, and if you really enjoy Bible study, the question for you to wrestle with, this is a commandment. God put them there and said, take care of this place. There's a more detailed explanation in chapter 1, to have dominion, to, to rule over it. Now, my question is, did God ever take away that command? Did God ever say, you know, I'm giving you this earth, and I command you to rule over it, and then later in Scripture, God says, you know, I'm taking it back. And I just want you to wrestle with that question, because as we talk today about creation being good, it's God's, and it's gunked up. We all know that. We are responsible for this place. How many of you have ever rented a house or an apartment? Now, probably every one of us that's been out of our homes. We've rented. Mostly you have to pay a security deposit, right? Why is that? Well, we all know Why? Because if you tear it up, they're going to use your money to fix it back up. Now, I've lived in lots of apartments and houses that we've rented. And usually, if you're going to paint the wall, what do you have to do? have to talk to the owner. Do you mind if I put red paint on this wall? Yes, I mind. Can't do it. Do you mind if I tear out a wall and make this room bigger? Don't tear out any walls. Make it bigger. It's not your place, and so you're very limited as to what you can do in that apartment. You basically live there. Now, as you think about this idea of responsibility given to the human race, we don't rent it. We don't pay anything to be here. But we are like renters in the sense that we don't own it. And I love what Bishop McKenzie, he's a pastor in uh, in, uh, San Diego, he's he's talking about the rich and all the stuff they own and the poor, and they don't own anything. And then he says this in his sermon on uh, stewardship. He says, neither the greedy nor the needy can claim ownership. God owns everything, and that's true. And I'm reminding us of uh, us of that today. We have responsibility, but God owns it all, and we are given uh, authority and responsibility to take care of it. Now, we've gone through these four truths. Creation is good. Creation is God's. Creation is gunked up. There is a problem. And finally... People have responsibility for creation. There's no question about that, Genesis 1 and 2. So what? What difference does it make? And I want to take these final few moments to challenge you to think with me about so what? If this is a value of our church, what's it mean for us? And the first so what is this. I think it means confession. It means confession. Confess your lack of care for creation. Now, I want to take a break here, and you're going to help me but to get you started confession means our lack of care for creation the bible says if we confess our sins god is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness now as a church you don't know this you weren't don't have the same responsibilities that i do but when i became pastor here 3 years ago i noticed we got a lot of refrigerators refrigerators take a lot of energy so i had the maintenance person i said count how many refrigerators refrigerators we have. And it was either 11, 12, or 13. I don't remember which. And I realized that Sunday school teachers thought, I need a refrigerator in my room. If I bring a cold drink, I need to keep it cold on Sunday morning. Of course, it runs six and a half days of the week not being used. There were freezers here full of somebody else's food. I mean, it was amazing. I said, we're going to start unplugging. We don't really need 13 refrigerators, do we, in this building. Now, you see, as a Christian, I think that's just irresponsible to use up energy like that that we don't need. I mean, I think that's a Christian value. And there are all manners of ways that uh, we just don't do what God would have us do. I think Christians ought to be the best environmentalists on the planet. It's ours. God gave it to us. We ought to triumph that sound and glory in earth and say, let's do a good job of taking care of it. Now, oftentimes, Christians are the most negative people on earth, and we don't want anything to do with those who are trying to help the earth. Just this week, and I wish I'd have brought it along, there was an article in the L.A. Times about how much cleaner the air is in, in L.A. than it used to be. You realize that, don't you? We're making tremendous progress in cleaning up the air in L.A. and other cities. We should celebrate that. We should say, let's do more. Let's do better. Lake Michigan, where we used to fish a lot, the fish were so bad you couldn't eat them. You can now eat them now, if you're careful. It's getting better. So we are making some progress in these areas. But confess our sins. What would we confess? What, what do you think? I'm going to give uh, some opportunity for feedback. What are some sins that we need to confess? Leave the, Leave the water running. You're shaving and it just runs and runs and runs. All kinds of waste. Kinds of waste. Throwing away leftovers. Throwing away leftovers. You know, I started doing it, and I about got tired of it. But, you know, the paper comes, what, in a plastic bag. Did you ever hang on to those and see how quickly they pile up? I mean, what do you do with them? Use them. You can use them. You can recycle them. Don't just throw them in the trash with everything else. And in recycling, we've sort of gotten into that, but there's a lot that can be done in that area. That's your Christian responsibility, by the way, to separate the glass and the plastic and so forth. We've also reduced dramatically the landfill waste here in Southern California. Maybe that's what the article is about. I don't know. Ten percent, yeah. What else do we need to confess? Oh Lord. Yeah, there are lots of times. I can ride my bike or walk instead of driving the car, using too much gas. People are dying in Iraq because we need gas. What else? Yeah, walking by trash, putting trash on the street. Yeah. The way we vote. Do you, when you look at a candidate, do you take care about how they uh, care for the earth and what our environmental policies are? The, wor- the world is getting warmer, folks. That's a fact. You don't need to debate it. Do you care when you vote? There are lots of ways, and we need to pause and confess our sins uh, for the things that we have done that are not uh, friendly to God's earth. Well, let me let me wrap this up. Now We need to confess our lack of care for creation. And I hope that because of today, you're sensitized to ways in which we have not been caring and ways in which we can start caring. Secondly, uh, be a custodian of creation. Custodian, caretaker, steward, I don't know what, manager, put whatever word in there you like, but be a custodian of creation. You and I have responsibility for this place. Um, I put down two words there. Responsibility, that means taking care, and interdependency, that means to recognize we're all in this together. And if bad things happen in China or a nuclear waste plant blows up in Russia, those fumes can blow over here and we can smell them and and, uh, inhale them. We're all in this together. Plants, animals, people, we're in it together, folks, and we need to recognize that interdependency. So be a custodian of creation. And lastly, be compassionate towards creation. If you love God, you will love God's creation. The, the reality is, Scripture says, in, back to 1 John, that uh, if you don't love your sister or brother here on earth, what's, it, what's the follow-up? You don't love God. Because John says, how can you say you love God, whom you've not seen, when you don't love your fellow human being? That's the rationale. Well, I would like to say, how can you say you, you love God, but you don't love God's creation? And so recognize that we need compassion towards creation. Now I realize that some of us are sitting there and say, "Well, Steve, one person can't make a difference." You know, I don't set our energy policies. I don't uh, have to do with global warming. I don't work in a factory that pollutes. So, you know, I. And so you may be thinking, "I can't make any difference, really. One person can't make a difference." Well, I'd like to say one person can, two people can, three people can. You can make a difference if you will let God get a hold of your heart and you'll decide, God, this is what I'm going to do because I can make a difference in your world in demonstrating that as a follower of Jesus, I love creation and I'm going to care for it. Will you care for creation? How will you care for creation?